Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Lorraine Kennard. Once in a while, I like to change things up, and this week is one of those times. In fall, I interviewed Liz Avilas, Vice President of Market Intelligence at Upshot. When we chatted after we recorded the interview, she said she wanted to turn the tables on me and interview me. So after 39 episodes, Liz is taking over the host duties this week, and I'm the guest on episode number 40. Liz, it's all yours. Thank you, Lorraine. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad we're doing this. So <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> oh, I, I, it'll be great. I promise. So um, let's start off with um, the fact that, yes, this is the 40th episode. So you started the Librarian Link Over podcast almost a year ago. Tell me how it's going. Podcast, podcast is going really well. It's been very well received in the library community. Visits to my website and listeners of each episode are going up every month. I've gotten really great feedback from a variety of people about how valuable they find the content. I'm having a lot of fun hosting and producing this podcast. Listeners tell me that they get a lot out of it, but I also get a lot out of it. I get to talk to interesting people like you who are using your library degree and skills to do really compelling work. Well, one of the things I think is so fantastic about the podcast is the variety of people that you speak to. Um, and um, given that, given, let's see, 39 interviews so far, <laughs> what are the trends that you're seeing among your guests as they talk about the profession, librarianship, and how they're applying their skills? One trend is that most of my guests talk about how transferable our skills are and that we can work in any industry. And I always say, I'm glad they say that because that's why I'm doing the podcast. It's a very exciting moment on the podcast when that happens. And I never ask them to say that, but it's nice when they do. Um, but I used to ask my guests why they're more qualified for their job than someone who doesn't have a library background. But many of my guests are uncomfortable saying that they are more qualified. Librarians are too humble. We are smart and we have a lot of important, difficult skills and we shouldn't be afraid to say that. But I changed the question to how do they add value because of their library degree? And then, then I get a really great answer to that question. So I you know, ask questions and then depending on how they go, I pivot, I rework questions and I'm just trying to ask the best questions to get the best answers. But the biggest trend I'm seeing is when I ask what traditional library skills they're using in their current roles. Almost every guest has said the reference interview. No matter if you're running a community college, if you're working in data or you own a business, if you can talk to someone and figure out what they're really looking for, that's a skill that many people don't have. We've mastered that skill while working in libraries. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure I'm sure that sort of that that foundational skill set of pull, mm -hmm. pulling out of people what they're looking for and more importantly, why and how they're going to apply. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So um, let's let's pivot a bit to the area of management. Lorraine, you've had a really interesting career. Um, you've run big organizations, worked within big organizations, worked in smaller organizations. So when you've managed people, tell me what kind of manager you are. As a manager, I try to be very supportive of staff. I'm always pro-staff. I believe in over-communicating, or what I think of as over-communicating anyway. People receive information differently, and no one has ever told me I give them too much information. Whenever I start a new job, 
I always have a 15 to 20 minute one-on-one -on -one with every single employee. I ask them, what do you like about your job? What do you wanna learn and what can we do better? This is a really good way to get to know everyone, to put a face with a name and find out what staff thinks we're good at and what we can improve on. This is specifically important to hear from frontline workers who talk to patrons all day. Because often in libraries, we're doing things because that's how we've always done them, but sometimes we can do them better or do them differently. I listen to the staff and then I follow up if I need to. This builds trust with staff that I value their opinions and follow through when they need something. One of my employees told me that they like me because I say the same thing to their faces that I say behind their backs. I had to think about that for a minute, but it is a good thing. I always say I will answer any question they have. They may not like the answer, but I will always answer honestly. Finally, if I've managed someone, I will always help them. Several past employees have contacted me for advice or some kind of information, and I don't hesitate to be a resource. That makes a lot of sense because I think librarians, um, the way I think about it is I, we, we possess a, a, a say yes philosophy. We're mm -hmm. service oriented. Yes. So I think as managers, mm -hmm. um, we're very keen to unlock our staff's aspirations, their ambitions, and then apply and direct what they're good at towards that. But I think also this notion of being a resource. We are a resource for our organizations, for our patrons, for our colleagues, but then we're also resources for our the the for the people that we manage. So that makes a lot of sense, Lorraine. So one um, you know, for for some folks, one area that they may not be as familiar with in terms of um, the responsibilities of a librarian in various types of organizations is the need to work with budgets. So for librarians who do work with budgets or who want to move into a position where they're going to have budgetary responsibility, what suggestions can you give us on managing a budget? Yes, I think people need to understand that libraries do have budgets. Um, we can use stuff for free, but the library still has to pay for everything. Um, I recommend the librarians take a look at their organization budget and their department budget, if they can get it. Staff sometimes don't realize how much things do cost us. Um, on the other side, where the money's coming from, how much revenue comes from taxpayers versus grants or other revenue. That's an interesting thing too, because libraries are kind of limited in what they can get for revenue. Um, public libraries anyway, get 90 to 95% of their revenue from property tax. So that's, that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room um, to, we can't just go sell more stuff if we want a bigger budget. We can do other things. We can sell t-shirts and tote bags, but it's not gonna bring a ton more than what the tax revenue is. Um, one other thing is I've taught staff members how to read a budget. When I was a public library director, after every board meeting, when the board approved the financials, I'd tack the budget up on the bulletin board. So when someone would come and say, can we do this and buy this or do that? I would say, what budget line does it come out of? So they got they get used to going, well, I want to do this. It costs this much. Let's see what we've got in the furniture budget or whatever. So they would know that we either can do it or we can't before they would even come and talk to me about it. Um, they, they know that all the decisions are made based on the budget they all can see. Sure, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That sort of transparency is then in an effect educational for, for folks. Um, I've 
I've personally never worked in a public library and my career has been spent in specials where we have a budget. I have managed our departmental budget, but I really mm-hmm. like what you're saying about understanding the larger budget. So where does your organization's budget fit in with the larger organizations? And I think that's very helpful. So even in my case, when uh, working on a budget, it's within the context of my company's larger annual mm-hmm. budget. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think uh, whether it's a public library or a library or library type department within a private organization, having that, again, that, that budgetary transparency um, is helpful for everyone. <laughs> well, and I think if everyone knows the budget, then everyone's kind of in on it. You know, everyone's in the same boat where people can say, oh, we wish we could do this, but they won't let us. Well, it's not they aren't letting us, the numbers aren't there. Right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So um, let's talk about the podcast a bit. So Lorraine, why did you start the podcast? And does that sort of initial reasoning or ambition still hold up now uh, 40 episodes into it? Well, I started the podcast to get in front of hiring managers and HR people because job hunting can be difficult if you're trying to move around library types or out of libraries because the perception is not there, like we've been talking about. The perception's not there that we have all these great skills and we can use them anywhere. Uh, One of my guests told me that her boss hired her because he looks for librarians. So I said, I'm gonna need his name and number. So (laughs) I interviewed him and he was great. And he's one of the top uh, most listened episodes. Um, I'm always looking for managers who are hiring librarians to interview because that's what we're looking for. That's the holy grail. And I told him, you're the holy grail because you're (laughs) looking for librarians. So we can figure out what the other side is looking for, then, you know, that's golden. Um, So I would say I I still have some room to grow on that goal as far as getting in front of hiring managers and HR people, because that's really hard. Um, But another goal was to help librarians boost the value of their skills. And I've heard from so many librarians who've told me that the podcast is helping them reframe their skills when they want to move up into a managerial position or move into another library type. I didn't really have too many other goals other than I wanted to learn a new skill and I wanted to talk to interesting people and provide content that people find valuable. So in that regard, you and my other guests have helped me meet that goal, Um, especially during the pandemic. I never even thought because we're not getting together and we've known each other for a long time through SLA, getting to actually like sort of see people every week and talk to them has been great. It's really been like a mini, you know, sort of mini SLA event every time I do this, because I get to talk these kinds of things, um, have these kinds of conversations that I don't normally have on a day-to-day basis. So that's a benefit I hadn't considered. Um, But I also say I'm trying to change the paradigm on how our skills are viewed. I would say that one is still in progress also. It's early on that one. Uh, Yeah, I can see that, especially (laughs) especially since librarians Librarians themselves have a sense, a growing sense, I think of the trans sort of transferability of their skills. Um, We see that our challenge is that the broader world doesn't necessarily see that. 
So I think what you've done with this podcast is fantastic because like you said, um, it's great feedback from your listeners. People are hearing um, inspiration. They're getting inspired about how to present mm-hmm. their own skill sets. Uh, and you and I have known each other for a while. Um, it's been about 25 years. It's hard to believe since I graduated from library school, um, (laughs) which is crazy. But in that time, it's been interesting to see how the profession has evolved, but at the same time, we're still seeing that challenge of getting that, that understanding from the broader, whether it's the business community or other types of for instance, public institutions Mm -hmm. to really recognize um, the broad skill set that we bring to organizations. So I think, bravo, Lorraine, the fact that your conversations are inspiring people to think about how to market themselves in new ways, I think is fantastic. And from that, it's like incremental, (laughs) perhaps as people are doing that, marketing their skill sets, maybe we'll move the needle. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be great. But even, even as like a public library director, that should imply certain set of skills, but it doesn't always. Oh, exactly. That it's not obvious that you have a set of skills as a public library director that you're basically running you know, a small business but that doesn't always compute. Yes, and you and I have talked about that and the fact that in part, it's because we have a, we have a very positive reputation, but it's mm-hmm. almost a sort of magical reputation that, yes. that what we do um, doesn't require the, all of the foundational skills of running an organization um, yes. like the library. So a library director is sort of, in a sense, it, it, battling the sort of magic that's associated with libraries um, that in a sense masks the realities that these are really um, complicated organizations with staff, with budgets, who are accountable to a board, for instance. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it's surprising that we don't have that, we don't yet have that awareness. It's a double-edged sword. People love the library, but they still don't really understand libraries as organizations. And I would apply that to libraries, not just as in the public library realm, but again, in um, corporate departments where you find librarians usually or sometimes not even under the sort of title of library or even librarian. So oh, 100%. Um, I'm really glad you said that because I've, I've, my highest position has been in public. So that's kind of where I go. But 100% that people don't understand that corporations and museums, hospitals, I mean, most organizations have some sort of library. So yeah, I'm really glad you added that. Yeah, mm-hmm. even if they're not calling it that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, right. We, when, when you interviewed me, I think I, I brought this up, the fact that um, I, we've never, in my career, with one exception, called the department that I worked within a library department. Um, so it just speaks to 
that continued challenge um, that I think your podcast is whittling away at. <laughs> I hope so. so. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> on that note, um, specific to the podcast, what suggestions can you give librarians who might want to start their own podcast? I say do it. If you have even average tech skills, you can produce a podcast. It's a lot of work, though, so you have to make sure you have the time to work on it. Um, when I did my due diligence to see what else was out there, there was a lot of podcasts on libraries and librarians and books that have four or five episodes two years ago. So it was, it was just not sustainable. So it can be a lot of work. Um, I'm a one-man operation, one-man band, so I'm relying on myself to do everything. Um, it can take a lot of time to reach out to guests and schedule interviews. Um, the social media takes a lot of time. There's so many different kinds of podcasts that you can do. I chose to do an interview podcast that posts weekly, but there are all kinds of series of podcasts. Um, some are intended to be four or five episodes, um, but some you can tell they, they really expected it to go longer and maybe the person left or changed jobs and no one to pick it up. Or So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different podcasts out there um, and all different kinds of time that you can spend on the podcast. Every podcast takes a different amount of time and resources. Um, my podcast doesn't cost me anything. Podcast software is free. Um, I do pay for the Zoom account, but other than that, it doesn't cost anything. Um, but it's, uh, I, I definitely recommend it. It's just a really good, a good, it's a different thing to do from what we normally do. And it's a different way to get out information that you want people to have. That's fantastic. And again, I think it speaks to the flexibility of our skill set. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, Lorene, um, tell me a little bit about the professional associations that you've been in, um, some of which we've been in together, mm -hmm. and which ones you have found most useful throughout your career. Well, SLA was my home for many, many years. I was a longtime volunteer including serving as president of the Illinois chapter and, and on the SLA nominating committee. Um, I did a lot of stuff in SLA, lots of conferences, lots of meetings, um, learned a ton. I got way more out of it though, I'll tell you, than they got out of me. Um, but as I moved more into publics, I've drifted a bit from SLA. Uh, I'm a member of the Illinois Library Association now and the chair of the membership committee of the Illinois chapter of ACRL. Okay, and ACRL stands for, for some of our listeners who might not be familiar? Sure, it's the Association of College and Research Libraries. Excellent. And um, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you don't know SLA, it's Special Libraries right. Association. <laughs> and they're moving a new name. It's more specialized libraries. They're trying to start that, which is not oh. wrong. Excellent. And I know that's how, that's how we met, Lorraine. So mm -hmm. bravo, SLA. Yes. So one of, uh, I think, my favorite questions anytime I meet a fellow M uh, librarian MLS is, uh, why did you go to library school? And based on the career that you've had so far, does that reasoning, then that initial motivation sort of still hold? I loved going to the public library when I was growing up. I remember thinking that when I check a book out, someone else has read it. And then when I bring it back, someone else can read it, that we are sharing a community resource. I really thought that as a kid, I had that awareness. Um, I organized my Nancy Drew books by writing in marker the numbers on the spines. I still have them, of course. 
Of course. But as you get older, you realize libraries are more about service and helping people than about books. That librarians are experts at finding information and are leaders in technology. So I've always been a leader and good at organizing and strategy. So I loved library school at the University of South Carolina. The program helped me focus my leadership, organization, and strategy skills. I worked as the office manager of the interlibrary loan department at the main library, so I also got some management experience. Plus, I got to intern at the advertising marketing library at Walt Disney World for a semester. Um, I've gotten to do so many cool things with my library degree. I was the first master's degree librarian at Morningstar. I was a solo there and built the library. Plus, I was working there when we went public, so that was a really interesting experience to have. I was working as a reference librarian in a public library when ebooks became widely available, so I got to learn that technology and train patrons on downloading ebooks. I was a director in a public library that, frankly, needed a lot of TLC, so I was able to streamline processes to create efficiencies and save the taxpayers a bunch of money. Also, my staff and I reworked the floor plan so it worked better for patrons. I've gotten to do really interesting longer-term projects with my own freelance research business. And I'm currently working as an archivist and a tech services manager in a university library. And I got to work on the university's centennial project. We celebrated our 100 years. And I got to move the library to a new cataloging system. I have volunteered in and held leadership roles in multiple professional associations. I've had the opportunity for travel and to visit some really great libraries, including the Pentagon and ABC News. And of course, I've made lifelong friends in the profession. But I've also had some tough times. Being a librarian is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> dealing, with, <laughs> dealing with problem patrons, budget cuts, and the lack of respect for what we do can be really disheartening. And like many public library directors, I've had really tough experiences. A couple people have told me recently that I was ahead of my time in dealing with adversarial board members and angry mobs coming to board meetings. But overall, yes, I'm very glad I went to library school. I think the degree courses matched well with my skills and strength. I've done everything that I wanted to do in libraries and more. I would love to get back into a leadership role though, either in a library or library related organization or even industry. Like we've been saying for 40 now episodes on my podcast, experiences in libraries with leadership, strategy, human resources, and budget skills are easily transferable to any type of industry. So I definitely think like when I was in library school, my first class, I sat down and I just knew that's where I was supposed to be. And I think like I didn't even realize at the time that it can be so much more than what I was even thinking, because like we've been talking about, libraries are everywhere, even if they're not called that. It's the skills that are important, the reference skills, research, people skills, technology skills, management skills. We have all of those skills. So I am definitely glad um, I went to library school. I think I've, I've gotten a lot out of my degree and of my career so far. That's fantastic. And everything you just described, Lorraine, it's about evolution. It's again, there is a, there's mm -hmm. a sort of misconception about libraries as these unchanging institutions. And you and I can both attest to how that that's not the case. You've had to pivot. You had to implement new software. You had to adapt to or help support an organization that was going public. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart, but also it, there's never a dull moment. 
It is no. a, a, all libraries, whether it's a, li a traditional library organization or a library type or library like department or function with an organization or a corporation, they're dynamic. They're constantly changing. We've had to adapt to new software, new tools. I mean, it's really been a, um, I would say, a, kind of a fun roller coaster in that sense. <laughs> but well, I think the, the library connotation of nostalgia yes, is what hurts us. Exactly. Because everyone remembers going to the library as a kid and doing story time. Right. And that's exactly. kind of where it ends. So, you know, it's on all of us, especially my podcast. I'm taking that on to change the paradigm on how people view libraries. Because I know, I'm sure you've had these experiences. When people meet me and they get to know me, they're like, wow, I never would have thought you were a librarian. And I'm like, well, I am. So now you know what a librarian is, because I am one. Like we're, we're changing just by meeting people in every, any, anything we do, we're helping promote a new image of librarians. Exactly, exactly. It's funny you should say that, Lorraine. Uh, about two weeks ago, I had dinner with a friend who I've known for about 14 years, um, friend of a friend. And uh, I realized that she didn't know that I have an MLS. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, so it's been fantastic um, to chat with you. And again, I would just underline that it, what you just ju have just described is a wonderful sort of synopsis of the, the ambition of your podcast, which is to really change the perception of our profession's skill sets and how it's being applied and how it's going to continue to evolve. And we're all evolving with it. We sure are. We have to. Well, thank you, Liz, for putting me on the other side of the table this week. It was really great to provide a bit of an update on the podcast and talk a little bit about my career. We're back to regularly scheduled programming next week, though. We are starting the year with a heavy hitter. You do not want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening.